Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Leadership Network we are so glad to be here. My name is Myron Pierce. I'm here with my home girl Jay Richards, and uh, this is Church Next. Whoa, whoa! Hey, we are starting a new series. We're calling it Business Made Missional. I don't know about you, but uh, funds in the local church are on the decline. Right, tithes and offerings really aren't coming through. Pastors, leaders are like having financial hardship. And uh, on top of that, I think people in the marketplace find it hard to connect the marketplace with the mission of God. And so we said, let's launch a new series called Business Made Missional, which we're actually having a summit in August on this very topic. So you do not want to miss it. Um, My friend, Robert Frazier, uh, we met a couple of years ago, and I just thought, man, who is it that can really speak to uh, what's going on in the American American church and this whole idea of business being made missional. And so this dude is awesome. Uh, he's the president and lead catalyst of, of Solid Creative. Uh, he's in Boise, not Boise. Yep, he's yep. in Boise and uh, Lee's Redemption Hill launched that a couple years ago. And uh, dude is a all things um, Boston and Boise State fan. And uh, as you can tell, do love coffee. So, you know, man, it's good to have you, bro. <laughs> it's good to have you, man. Um, I've been looking forward to this, bro. And uh, I really just want get, to get, get into the conversation. But before I do, man, tell us a little bit about you, a little bit more, um, and really just about your background, man. Well, since you opened the door, I, I think I'm going to start out with Celtics basketball. Is that what we're going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where I want to start. After All last years, night, baby. I'm excited again. They, they're going to win this thing. Uh, yeah, my name is Robert Frazier. Uh, planted Redemption Hill, which is a church. It's a network of micro churches that's a part of a movement of micro churches we call the Syndicate here in Boise, and uh, we've got a handful of micro churches that are part of uh, Redemption Hill. And we planted five years ago. I've got four kids. Uh, Elsie is eight. Theo six. Ike is four. Winnie is one. So we're just kind of, you know, living in crazy little kid land right now. Um, And uh, yeah, I lived in Boston for six years while I was in seminary and working at a church out there. Moved back to Boise six years ago. And uh, it's been a crazy time, man. So much fun getting some things started. So um, tell us how then you started in ministry in the first place, um, because you were involved in a few other things as well, which we'd like to hear more about. But let's start with how you got started in ministry. Uh, yeah, uh, I came back to faith my freshman year of college. I had grown up. My dad was a pastor and he actually was a bivocational uh, minister as well. We had seven kids. And so he had to he had to do something else to put food on the table. And so he ran a, a remodeling company. So that was some of my first jobs were in construction growing up. Mm-hmm. And 
I kind of learned both of the family businesses uh, being in ministry. But of course, because I was, my dad was in ministry, I wanted to stay as far away from it as I could just seemed like a terrible career. Um, so I was, I was trying to avoid a calling. And uh, when I was 23, I had gotten married and I'd been working in finance for a couple of years at that point, doing investment advising, some insurance and some banking. <laughs> and uh, God just kind of grabbed a hold of me and said, Hey, I've got more important stuff for you to do. Uh, and we jumped in as full-time missionaries with crew campus crusade for Christ reaching middle school and high school students and started a movement of that here in the Boise area. And then when we moved to Boston, um, in 2010, we started a high school ministry out there while I was attending Gordon Conwell. And, uh, we, you know, it, I, I was still trying to avoid pastoral ministry. Being a missionary seemed great because, you know, like Jesus was your boss and like, your boss just wanted to make sure you were reaching people. It wasn't about an organization. It was about the kids. And I love that. Mm. Um, and I was trying to avoid ministry, but life circumstance kind of changed for us. Uh, we were trying to stay in Massachusetts, working on some family stuff. And my church that I had been serving at as a volunteer approached me about launching a campus for them. And I think what God was doing was he was, he was bringing to life my pastoral calling and heart with my entrepreneurial vision and passion and starting a campus, let me see that both those things were true and that being a part of a, a campus for a mega church was a great starting point, but it wasn't where I was supposed to be. So we moved back to Idaho after six years in Boston and kind of started a bunch of stuff at that point. So um, can you tell us a bit more about Redemption Hill? What is it? How long has it been going? Um, what's your mission with it as well? Yeah, we uh, Redemption Hill, we gathered a group of friends that had been our, uh, they had worked alongside of us on mission for a long time. And we just started praying and kind of took a lot of, since, since that time we've learned from the underground, kind of this missionary pathway, but we just lived out that missionary pathway. We jumped in, started praying for our neighbors. We started asking what's good news for our community. And um, a couple of those things that were real clear at that point was like housing and hospitality was good news in our community and kids being loved and known was good news in our community. So that's kind of how we focused our mission. Uh, we started gathering folks and training them in the way of Jesus and that started a gathering that then became um, what would, would have been called like a tr more traditional church plant. And then uh, we, we had kind of a, a missional and an incarnational center to what we did, but still had kind of a Sunday experience, that attractional piece. So we would have called it a hybrid model. And COVID took away the hybrid piece and took away the queen, man. We couldn't do Sundays anymore. And our wow. community was pretty... Uh, pretty cautious when it came to COVID. And so we, we jumped in full tilt, became what we call a micro church movement. And uh, God's been doing some really incredible things. We launched what we call the syndicate, which is a, it's the five families, uh, these five networks of micro churches that work together. And our vision is to see 800 missionary couples deployed in every neighborhood of the treasure Valley to see the gospel come to life so that everybody can see it. 
even if they don't want it, they're going to see it. They're going to know that it's real. And they're going to, they're going to have somebody that they know they, they can point to and say, I know somebody loves me who loves Jesus. And this is the person. So that's what we've been working on. And there's, I think there's 27 or 30 somewhere in there, micro churches that are part of the movement and redemption Hill is kind of our, what we call a collective. And that's, you know, we have elders and we have a traditional church, like structure, but then uh, we meet in micro churches and on Sundays we gather for uh, celebration to tell stories of what the church is doing outside of the walls of Sunday and uh, then pray for one another and build each other up. So that's so awesome. I love that. Um, Myron mentions earlier about um, the, the fact that COVID really changed the way that churches are being financed and how they're surviving during um, this time. Um, you know, churches as well, sometimes we as Christians like to shy away from the elephant in the room, which is money and finances. But it's a reality that we live in a world which is ran on money, essentially, and we need it to survive. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, financing um, Redemption Hill and what have been some of the barriers when it has come to funding? Yeah, when we planted, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of like a couple of models. You've got the bootstrap model, which is you figure out how to make it happen with what you have and you raise a little bit of money and hopefully you have enough people at the beginning to kind of pay for your bills. Like that's like, that's the model we took. I think in total, we had about $30,000 that we used to plant Redemption Hill. And then there's kind of like the launch large arc model where it's like you raise a half million dollars and you got to pay a bunch of it back to plant new churches. And you've got to be at 300 people at a certain date. And like, that's, there's kind of like two sides of that model. We were definitely on the bootstrap model, but for me, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't driven as much by economic necessity Although I do think that long-term, what we're seeing, we saw during COVID is about a third of people who call themselves Christians and gave some amount just stopped engaging with church, whether it's because of what's happening uh, with, you know, church abuse scandals, whether it's because they just realized that it wasn't giving them what they needed, or it was the social pressure that pushed them to church went away. And so they don't need to be there anymore. That those people just stopped giving. And that was the, that was the extra, that was the amount that kind of made stuff work. And so, and I think demographically, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see less, uh, less people feeling the need to be at church and less people feeling they need to give to church. And then uh, that's going to put pressure on the model long-term to say, okay, how are we going to fund the mission God's called us to? We saw that coming. We we also wanted to do something different because uh, I've, I've got my own church wounds. And so I don't trust the church to take care of me and my family. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, there's just like, uh, even, even if I lead them well, I know that things go badly. And when things go badly and it's your job, uh, your community, your church and your family, like all four things go bad all at once. It's really hard to pick up your life. And so I thought if I remove the career piece from it and the money piece, it changes the relationship significantly. And so wait, 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 bro. Wait, you dropping dimes, you dropping gems, (laughs) dropping gems, man. We trying to keep up with you, Bobby (laughs) B. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I want you to finish your thought, but you have to unpack what Jesus said. When you remove money from the relation, from the equation, the relation, like the rela- like the relationship changes. Talk to us about that because I feel like we really need to hear that. 
So most, most pastors won't tell you this unless they're in an unguarded moment or they're with other pastors, but they know who pays the bills and they know that it's the people in the pews and they know that if the wrong people leave, they won't have a job. And so it mm. becomes this, uh, there's a lot of terrible metaphors, but basically this, this uh, unhealthy um, codependent relationship where we tell people what we think that they want to hear so that they'll stay around and they'll keep giving so that I keep my job. And so pastors aren't really leading their churches because if they lead their churches to a place that they don't want to go, no longer do they have people following them or paying them. And most of the time it's, it's built where the elders are the bosses of the leaders. And so then the elders say that we're not going that direction and you're gone. And I think when you remove that equation, what happens is spiritual leadership emerges. So it's not about being paid to be in the role and I need to pander to people to get paid so that they'll stay. All of a sudden I can lead spiritually. I can challenge people deeply. And, and for me, it was, it gives me a different relationship when I challenge people to serve and give because I'm in the same boat. I've got my job. My wife has her job. We've got our kids and then we're still doing what we're doing. I can ask people to dive into a higher level of commitment than if it's wow. my job, because if you're paying a church planner, 50, 60, 70 grand a year to do his mm. thing, you know what they tell you when you say, Hey, would you show up and set up chairs? They're going to say, well, what are we paying you for? If it's not to wow. set up chairs, why are you here? Mm, mm, mm. You know, um, you know, we, we, we've taken a significant shift like that. And, you know, the last five years I've been coaching my, my leaders, everybody on my team, either, leads a full-fledged company they're either a solopreneur they're they're an entrepreneur i mean we're i, I say we're a side hustle church mm -hmm. and and we've made that shift there's no paid staff um and not knocking any, anything of that but like I, I think you bring up you bring something up and i had this aha moment that if there's no paid staff okay so from a staff, I don't even use the word staff, but but for the conversation, yeah. if if I'm paying my staff, there's already a boss employee relationship. There's like this that, you know, and I'm leading you're in your you're leading from a, you're not really leading from influence. No, it's you're coercive leading. power. You can take yeah. away what they need. And that's what you that's what you use to get them to do things they don't want to do. Right. Right. And so I and so when it comes to American church, I often wonder what will happen if we re, as leaders remove like I think we would actually see how if we have influence or not. Mm -hmm. We would actually see, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. what type of relationship we actually we actually have. And so I think you bring up a conversation that I think is is time for us to have when it comes to what type of relationship do we have to, to, to the ones that we're leading on our leadership teams and what type of, what type of relationship do we really have with our church? Yes. Well, you know? I, th I think what you're, what you're touching on there is most churches have this really strange structure where there's elders who are set up as the business end of a church 
and they're not spiritual leaders. Most mm-hmm. elder boards, they're not picked because they're doing the work of eldering. It's because they, you know, wow. they give significantly or um, they're well-respected because of their position of authority outside of the church. And we then tell them they're an oversight board, like a business oversight board for a corporation, because mm-hmm. it's a nonprofit. We kind of take, we, we take what we see in the nonprofit world outside the church and superimpose those structures on the church that were never meant for the church. Mm. And it's about controlling where money goes and it's about controlling how people live rather than asking what has God called us to and how can we employ what he's given us for those things. It's this, I've got to make sure that we do what people think that we ought to do so that I get to keep this role and nobody asks any questions. And I think that that's fundamentally wrong. I think that Christian leaders should be spiritual leaders and elders should be chosen because they're doing the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd teaching work that they've been called to. And then the money stuff, like in our elder meeting, what we try to do is it's like 5% of our meeting is business. That's all, that's all it gets time for. It's like all people, all mission. And then if we have to, we have an empowered staff team who takes care of those things. But there's those few, those few moments where if we have to make a big decision about hiring or firing or something like that, it's a small part. It's not the whole, it's not the whole meeting. But I think that that's mm-hmm. one of those things. You got to rethink how we do church. And most states like the state of Idaho, you don't like, it allows you to do basically anything with your nonprofit if it's a church. The way you structure it is completely up to you. And instead of taking these best practices from the nonprofit world, I think we ought to rethink what those things look like. And I and I think the question that even to, to Jay's point of the question about your about greatest barriers to funding, I think it's even a larger conversation about where are the barriers to entry when it comes to the local church and money mm-hmm. and in the relationship that 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 it has and 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 i know you said like redemption hill is like this network of you got this you got redemption hill you got the syndicate um but i think people may want to know from you hey even if you're a decentralized slash kind of centralized movement um like for those micro church leaders and micro churches what are you what are you guys discovering as um when it comes to funding like when it comes to the, the tension of leading a micro church, being a part of the syndicate, you know, being a yeah. part of redemption here. Like, what are those barriers that you're hearing? I think our audience would want to know that. Um, one thing that God's been really bringing to my mind is that money is an idol in, in churches primarily because it's a, it's an accelerating force that gives us a shortcut to where we want to go instead of influencing and transforming people, we want to use money to coerce qualified or gifted people to be a part of what we're doing and lead it for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, that's, that's the problem with our relationship with money in the church is that we think that money will give us the power to do what we want, because that's what money is. Money is about power. Money's always about power. It's about mm-hmm. me getting you to do what I want because I have this and you don't have it yet. And I'm going to use this imbalance to get what I want from you. And in our church, what we do is we say, well, we haven't grown any leaders. And so we're going to look outside of the walls of our church and we're going to do a nationwide search with a headhunting firm to find somebody talented to bring in 
so that we can then look at ourselves and look at, say, look how great we are because we raised the money to find this person to come be a part of our thing. And I think that's, that's the issue right there is we, we think that money will, will change what we're doing. So at Redemption Hill, we have, we've decided we're going to go at the pace that God has called us to, which is the amount of money and people we have is what we have time and space for. And so with our microchurch, wow. we're not telling Sounds them, good. Hey, you've, you've got to go reach a thousand people in our neighborhood. We're telling you, we're telling them what has God given you time and space for? What is he telling you to do? And then mm-hmm. are you doing it this week? Are you having, you know, we use Michael Frost, like surprise the world. Like, are you having three meals? Are you taking 10% of your meals a week? And are you giving them away for opportunities for connection and mission? Um, we're, we're simplifying and saying, okay, we've got lots of little kids, you know, in our, in our mm. movement of a couple hundred people, we've got like 70 kids under like eight years old. And so we only go at the mm. pace that we have our kids. And so instead of saying, Hey, we're going to hire a bunch of youth workers to make this thing work. We're saying, okay, what God's given us, that's the pace at which we grow. We're going to mm-hmm. leverage what he's given us. We're going to create more margin through simplicity rather than through, um, rather than through wealth. Like we're going to, simplicity is a way to wealth. Simplicity is a way to having what wow. you want because God's already entrusted something to you and you're using it for something you didn't mean you to have. And so if you simplify, it gives you what you need. And so often we're off doing things we're not called to, or we're trying to use technology or people or money to jumpstart something that God's not calling us to. So seeing mm-hmm. natural, seeing natural barriers as a gift from God to, you know, it's like the Sabbath. You only get six days. That's it. That's all you get. That's God's giving you enough in six days of work to do. He's giving you enough money in your budget to do what he's called you to. Um, now that wow. being said, I think that, a bunch of people are withholding the things that God has entrusted them to steward. And we've got to release those through generosity. We've got to release those through simplicity. We've got to challenge people to, you know, like we give a, did you see Lucas Pulley's deal this week where he's like American Christians, like give like 2%. And if, if we're called to be more than what the law required, which was like 20% in Israel, like American Christians are, like at 10% of what we should be giving. It's like this tiny percentage. We got to like increase that generosity. But I think that most people are going to be much more likely to increase their generosity for what the apostles did in Acts chapter two, which was they gathered their things for poor people among them. I think that's that's way way easier to motivate those people than for a $25,000 LED screen or, you know, a (laughs) jacked youth event, you know, like, like yeah. people are saying, okay, I want to give, but I don't want it to be all for, you know. So, so you're 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 hitting on you're hitting on something, bro. That when you know when Jade asked that question about barriers, it's it's really not that the church doesn't. It's it's maybe one part like a discipleship issue, as far as generosity. Um, but you hit on a few things, simplicity as a, as a way to wealth. I've never heard that before, but, but also to your point, I think people are just, it's, it's white noise when it comes to giving because they do see that it's going to lights or they do see that it's going to, to bigger screens or they do see, and it's like people would much rather give to the red cross. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it's interesting. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a coffee shop and, and unfortunately I saw an accident. This guy runs into the back of a bus. I run out there. I'm like, I'm, I think I'm like the first one there. 
Many more people are coming and dude died on impact. And I'm, I'm I, like, like I, I witnessed this dude like lead his life, man. And, and one thing led to another. One of my members is on social. She connects with dude's baby mama. She, the, the mom of this deceased guy is looking for the person who was on the site first. I end up having a conversation with the mom, which, you know, this native lady, which leads to us ministering to the family, which leads to us finding out that they had just buried somebody, didn't have a place because most places in our in our city, you know, they they don't allow for native assembly because the, the tradition in these three, four days of of grieving and mourning and, mm. and, and it leads to us opening up our building. And I put this shout out to, to, to my people. Hey, we need, like, we need to fund this. We need to fund this funeral so that this dude can have dignity and his family can grieve. And bro, there was no, pro- we had no problem raising $4,500 in less than 24 hours. And, and, and I think it's to your point, like, People care about problems like they care, like people want to be good news. But I think when we look at the history and trajectory of the local church, sometimes we just haven't stewarded God's resources the best. Well, I mean, you look at the national percentages of where funds go to. It's like almost 80 or 90 percent of every budget is building and staff and that 90 percent of that use is inward. It's focused Mm -hmm. on. It's basically a country club where you gain membership by showing up and giving, and then you get a set of benefits. And, you know, I don't, I don't like the calls to basically take away tax exemption for churches. I just think they should be treated like every other nonprofit, but when they're organizations that are built to bless themselves, I think that that's a problematic and too often churches are built to bless themselves and a tiny percentage flows out the door. And so our goal from the beginning has been like, let's increase over time, the percentage that goes outside. Mm. Uh, like our first check was to a housing nonprofit that we work with before we, like, it was actually two, there was two checks. One was the new thing to plant churches and one was to this housing. And it, like, we wanted that to set the stage for our community. Outward is better than inward because that's generosity. Otherwise it's just serving us, taking care of our stuff. And so we, you know, we, we try to frame that stuff and yeah, we, we need to give, and we have, we've got five part-time people who work on our staff who give a small percentage of their week and it frees them up to do the important administrative and leadership functions that they do. We don't have a problem with that, um, but we want to simplify enough that enough money's flowing outward that it makes sense that we exist. It's not just about us. Mm. Absolutely. And we do have a question about your um, funding model. Um, But I did have a question about your movement, because it seems like one of the biggest resources that you do have is people that are mobilized and actually doing the work. So can you talk a little bit about how it has been mobilizing people to the point of um, living out their purpose and their calling and getting them to actually be serving and doing the work, especially after a period of a few years where we wasn't even really doing church like that. So how has it been to motivate, inspire and mobilize um, your congregation? Um, Yeah, I I mean, we're not doing anything that's like <laughs> a surprising, 
fundamentally it's about culture to me. Um, I think, it, and, and we, we planted, so we got to create a culture and that's different than taking over an existing church and trying to mm. try to shift culture. Um, we, we have a new communications gal. And I told her we don't use the word volunteer. Like we, yeah. we don't use that word ever because it makes it sound like it's optional. What we talk about is we're a family. Yeah. And we are responsible to one another and dysfunctional families. The mom or the dad does everything for the kids and we're not going to be a dysfunctional family. So if you're here and you're here, you know, we, we say, if you've been here three weeks, you're a part of the greeting team, whether you like it or not, you, you belong here, you're showing up. Um, every, like we, we have the 80, 20 principle, but 80% of our people are serving on a weekly or biweekly basis during our gathering because it's, you know, many hands make lighter work and, Instead of burning out 20% who are doing everything, we're trying to get everybody involved because the church chore stuff, you know, set word mobile. We have set up chairs. We got to set up our tech. We got to, you know, do our kids programming. Um, all that stuff is just like somebody's got to show up and do it. And I'm not going to do it for them. That's that was like fundamentally, I wasn't going to give mm. 50 hours of my week to setting up chairs. And so if they don't show up and do it, it's just not done. Like, I'm not going to save the community from that work. Um, and wow. so, so it's, it's about culture to me. Like everybody belongs and they belong because they serve. Like that's how you know you're in as you serve. Um, I think secondarily, we truly believe in the priesthood of all believers. It's not lip service to us. We think that that's the center of who we are is that we're called to mediate God's presence to the world through our service and through the proclamation of the gospel. Um, and so we, we empower our people. We send them out each week telling them that they are God's presence, that they are the church, go be the church where they're going. Um, we help them kind of piece through their gifting, their passions, their story. We use some underground Kansas City Underground stuff that helps people kind of get a picture for how they can best use their passions. We tell them that if they're not there to serve our mission. We're there to serve their mission. And so mm. when people come with ideas, we say, yes, their idea, because it's their idea. And we try to find ways to help them connect with people who will partner with them in it um, and fund what they're doing. And so it's, it's a, it's a radical shift from come be a part and come show up at the thing I'm creating to how can we as a community get alongside entrepreneurial leaders who have callings and passions where they're at and tell them that what they're doing out there is God's calling. And that mm -hmm. showing up to serve in our kids thing is just a part of being a family. It's like low. It's like in a, in a big church. It's like, that's the epic, you know, you've, you've done it. You show up three times a month to serve for us. That's like, Oh, okay. That's like the beginning. Like there's just a start, yeah. you know, you, you know, you know, you, I, I feel like doing a happy dance here in my little hotel room. <laughs> Let's see it. No, I want to see the happy dance. Myron. Let's do it. man. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my, <laughs> that's what my daughter does. No, man. <laughs> <laughs> runs in place. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But like, but you said something that I think is 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 unique to, to the funding model. Um that 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 um that Jay's asking, you said, you said we are we're you're not here to serve our mission. What you're what you're doing when we gather, that's just family responsibility. Like that's not the the apex of your calling. Like like you don't go through you know, a, a strength, you know, a strengths or a spiritual gifts test to find out if you could be the chief, you know, 
um, usher officer for the rest of your life. Like we have strongman contests. See how many chairs you can lift on each arm. That's how you know if you belong in the chair ministry, how strong you are. Right. (laughs) But But you said we are here to serve your mission. And then, but you said something that I, I want you to unpack because I think it, I think it's helpful for us to understand how like we do have people in our in our families that are entrepreneurs, they are pioneers, they do have dreams, they do like talk to us about the process of yes, because mm-hmm. I think because I think that is the engine for the work God's called people to when it comes to this whole idea of mission. Like, what's the process of yes? Yeah, I've got a I've got a good friend. Um he he used to serve in production at churches. So he was a very valuable person. He could show up and set up all the tech and the lights and he could make beautiful videos. And that's what he does professionally outside the church. Uh, but he made a shift last year where he said his primary ministry is going to be as a missionary to teenagers. And so he's a part of young life and he, he just lives his life with teenagers. He and I go like mountain biking with his teenage buddies. I see him at the coffee shop at 7 a.m. with like five juniors just, you know, diving into the Bible and telling, you know, bathroom humor. It's like, you know, like he's just doing the mission and he got a bunch of, he got a bunch of crap from people at his church saying, why don't you serve anymore? Mm. They're like, we, you know, why, why aren't you here leading worship or why aren't you here doing, you know, lights? And he's like, listen, I, I mean, he's like 15, 20 hours a week living as a missionary on top of his job like doing life with teenagers, just like Jesus did. And in the church, they look at it and go, but it wasn't here. Mm. And it's about, it wasn't serving our organization. It was you out there doing it. And I, I think that that's, that's what we have to be rethinking is okay. What, whatever we celebrate, that's who we are, whatever we lift up and say, this is the thing that we want to do. Those stories that we tell the people that we, that we honor, that's how people know what to do. You know, that's, that's what we're doing. And so I, I want to tell those stories. I want to lift those guys up. I, you know, even for me, I'm still, like I say, my micro church is the, I I help with the middle school, young life ministry in our, in our high school area. And like, I, I want that to be my primary ministry ahead of Sundays, ahead of leading Redemption Hill, ahead of helping with syndicate and the city network and all that stuff. My primary mission is making disciples. And so like, if, if I'm doing those things, honestly, the rest of that stuff will figure itself out. Like I'm doing the thing I'm called to. So I don't know. Does that answer your question? I I, I think yeah. like focusing yeah. on, like if somebody says, Hey, I'm passionate about, I, I love Tampa underground's model of like this, like they think of themselves as a missional incubator. I want to be yeah. that. I want, I want yeah. that to happen where people have a calling or um, some sort of gift or just an inkling yeah. of listening to God's voice and then go, Hey, we can make that. I can, I'm an entrepreneur. I can get that up right. and running for you. I'll give you a list. I'll create the right. business model. I'll, you know, like I can do that stuff. That's easy. But you having passion, I can't replace that. So you go. And, do and that's that's what I want our, our that's what I want leaders to hear what you just said. How do you see your church? Is your church, you know, is is it a is it a mission? Is it an incubator for mission, or is it an incubator for attractional? Mm-hmm. You know, are we are we are we you said something earlier about um, some churches, they exist to benefit for themselves. Right. Um, But but are you an incubator? I like I I think that's the best way that I could describe our church, that we 
that and and um the Edge Church actually like we're 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 an incubator church. We're we're trying to incubate the the vision of God and and then like do whatever we can. <laughs> like Craig Rochelle said, like anything short of sin, like whatever we can, yeah, to make it happen. You know what I mean? Well, and if if ninety percent of our people are then living doing business outside of church, that is going to be their primary space where they're living on mission. Right. That's it. And so for right. me, like, uh, and here's the thing. I, so I did bivocational for a couple of reasons. One was fine funding one so that I can call people to like higher levels of commitment, but primarily those are the only places where I have conversations about the gospel with people who are outside the church. Right. My whole life is filled up with Jesus people and people I work with. And so if, right. if, if I want to have a mission, it's going to be in those spaces. And I want my people to see that like them living authentically as followers of Jesus in the business spaces is a tangible, beautiful expression of the gospel that's just as good as being in full-time ministry working at a church. And, and it's that, not second, and it's not second, like it's not um uh like oftentimes bivocational people or people who are entrepreneurs, they're often like second class Christians. Yeah, yep. Well, and that's what I like I like how Brad Briscoe started talking about co-vocational instead of bivocational, because yeah, bivocational yeah. is like, well, I'm doing work so that I can do a little bit of church, you know, right. like I it's like I, I'm trying to get rid of this so I can do the full time church thing where co-vocational is alongside one another. I do business and I do church. And that's like what God's called me to. And I think that that's where I'm at, although as as church responsibility grows, all of a sudden I have to make these different decisions about. The church needs different things from me. I need to be more available. And so I'm, I'm, I'm having all these con- like uh, really crises of, of calling crises of, yeah, you know, like midlife crisis kind of stuff. Okay. This next season of my life, what is that? What does that mix of business and, and ministry and family look like? How do, how do I shape something right. that's sustainable long-term, something that's faithful to what God's calling me to and something that utilizes my giftings and passions in a way that brings kingdom to the world. And those, those are the hard questions to me about mission is how are we doing those pieces? Side note, I would love for you to send me a five minute video shot in 4k about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, just have exponential send me a little check. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you such an entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm talking about money, actually. We do want to go back to your um, funding uh, method um, because it's unique. So could you um, just give us a bit of the ins and outs of that? Like, What does it actually look like to fund um, your ministry? Yeah. Um, well, there's kind of two pieces of that one is my life and then one is my ministry. Um, I'll, I'll start with the church. We have, you know, a group of families that are committed to what we're doing, both inside and outside of our congregation who give generously to make that happen. And we're growing that generosity. We talk about money a lot because it's about their soul. I don't like mm-hmm. the money in the bank account that gives us opportunity to do mission. That's great, but it's about their soul. Money is who they are. Money is their king. And so if, if they don't have a right relationship with money, and if they don't have a generous heart, they probably don't belong to the king of kings. They belong to the king of mammon. And we got we to gotta beat that out of people with generosity. So like, to me, that's what money's about. So we're growing their generosity. And we've got five part-time staff who get paid out of that. 
Um, we give about 14% of our giving right now goes to church planting and uh, international mission church planting. Another 10% goes to um, uh, justice partnerships that we have throughout our city, primarily around housing and food, which are the two biggest needs. Um, but we also, so we have those, and then we have a missional business that we run as a church that we call Wonder School. And it's a, it's a missional preschool. And my sister wow. runs it as a, uh, um, what we would call a micro church. She has a group of leaders that are teachers that she's training and how to make disciples of kids and parents. And then they've got 30 families that they're pastoring. They show up every day and hand their kids over. And they know when those families are in need. And a lot of our benevolence dollars goes into those families because that's why we have it there is for those families. Um, so we have a missional business. It mostly pays for itself. Um, we we're basically revenue neutral and we give away, you know, about, 15% of kids need some level of scholarship. So we're, we're trying to keep that as revenue neutral as possible. Um, we have a, uh, we call it made for this sports and arts camp. You can go to madeforthiscamp.com and it's a missional VBS alternative that we sell to churches. You know, we're, we're trying to get mega churches to fund our ministry, whether they want to or not. So we sell them stuff. <laughs> and so we, we sell this, like this camp thing. And it's, it's a beautiful missional deal. We've got, you know, we'll probably have 400 kids at our two camps this year that are like wow. exploring sports and arts. And it's like pre-evangelism. It's not Bible study. It's like teaching them that they matter to God, that they're loved by God and that there's a community of people who care about them. And so we're, we're just creating space for gospel relationships. And personally, that's a lot of kids at my kids' school that we meet through sports and arts camp. And then it becomes this missional like opportunity throughout the year to live together. So that's the, you know, we make, you know, we sell, 50 of those a year and it funds a little piece of the ministry. And then from our personal life, um, we, I've got, I've, you know, the only person who out hustles me is Myron Pierce. I think <laughs> <laughs> I look at him and I get tired, which tells you Myron's doing too much. Like that's, that's the answer, man. Um, but we got, so my wife works part-time as a nurse practitioner, um, in ear, nose, throat, and she makes a good part-time salary. And then I have a small marketing business that I run and it's a missional business where basically we try to make as much money as we can selling branding and marketing and tech integration. And then all the extra time goes into all of the missional entrepreneurial stuff we're doing. So we're serving church plants, we're serving churches, we're serving the syndicate with video and tech and comm stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's a missional business that I run. And then as a, as a result of our passion around housing, um, God's brought together some opportunities and we're building out what we call our, uh, it's a housing redevelopment fund and we're raising millions of dollars. We want to see a thousand units of housing built in our city and keep a good portion of them over 25% long-term affordable. And so those are some of the things that we're doing just to make ends meet. A lot of that stuff we started early when we move back and it's just get like snowballed now it's too much. And I got to figure out what I'm doing with my, you know, it was like Myron, you start yeah. something, you don't know what's going to happen. And then it's too much. And you're like, right. what am I going to do? And so I'm hiring a bunch of people right now. You know, Rob, Robert, I am so glad you just like spent last five minutes talking about that because I feel like it captures the heart of this series. Like, like to be able to take up to package something uh, to, to the to the larger larger and broader church 
because of your expertise. And there's many of you who are watching and you're like wondering how do like we're, look, we're looking for mission dollars or we want to do this in our community. And I think to, to, to Rob's point earlier that if we simplify and then look at the resources that we have, then it could actually be a solution for somebody's pain point. Yeah, you've already done some work to figure something out. Somebody probably else is asking those same questions. If you can create a package that easily helps them, it's a productized service. That's a beautiful little mission entrepreneurial business. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's exactly what happened with us. We were we were just giving it away to missional partners, and they were asking if they could pay for it. And we're like, oh, this is hitting a need, and so we created a small part of our church that was this business, and you know, and and I'm so glad, like. Um, you brought up the marketing company you have, because I think most like most pastors or church leaders, we really we really are marketers. I mean, we 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 have the skills necessary to help people communicate a message. Right. Yeah. I, that is the number one reason why I got into um, to marketing myself a few years ago, because I saw that the church, at least in my city, could have could have been stewarding the message mm-hmm. of the gospel in a much better, greater, grander way uh, yep. than we than we have been. And then you know, and so here in the last few minutes, um, Robert, talk to us a little bit maybe about what you've learned. Number one, and then number two, what advice would you have for leaders who are struggling struggling with funding? Uh. Uh, okay, man, we should have started here, man. There's, there's a lot we got to, got to, um, let me start by saying this. Um, nothing will be what it is at the beginning. Everything changes as it grows and everything changes after you start. And so a lot of times people wait to start new initiatives, new missional businesses, new businesses, because they have to have it fully formed to start? And the answer is, if you do it that way, you'll never start. It'll be too expensive. And then when it fails, you'll never do it again. And uh, what's his name? Collins. He's got this book that talks about how you do bullets before cannons. And so like the idea is if you shoot a bullet to figure out what direction you're going, then when you shoot the cannon, it goes to the right spot and it makes a, it makes a splash. It's that product market kind of fit. And so you've got to just Find a lightweight, easy ways to try something out. You know, you know what costs to build a website? It's like 200 bucks, you know, 200 bucks a year to host it on Squarespace or Duda or whoever, whoever you're using. And it costs nothing to build it before it deploys. Mm. It costs nothing. And so you can go on and figure out how to design something and learn it and learn a new set of skills. And then when somebody says, hey, you know how to do that? And you go, yeah. And they go, would you build one for me? And you go, yeah. And then they go, how much? And then you pull a number out of your head and you realize it's too low, but they're going to pay you to learn how to do it. Like that's, like that's, the, that's the powerful thing I've learned is I want, I want someone to pay me to learn how to do everything I do. And so wow. when someone says I need something, I go, I think I could do that for you. And then I give them a little discount because I don't know how to do it yet. <laughs> and then I go figure it out. Hey, Rob, listen, that's my secret. Yeah, that's that's the exact. Somebody asked me like five years ago, can you run a marketing campaign? I basically lied. 
I said, yeah, give me. <laughs> no, a but you didn't there. lie because you figured it out, right? I did. I did. But on the front end, it was like by faith I was saying it, but it was like, here we are five years later. Yep. And 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 I people like people come to me and they and they ask about, you know, they're like, I'm running these ads and I'm not, and it just doesn't work. And I and with confidence, I can say, you know what, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just that every single customer is on a journey and they're at the beginning of the journey. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and because yeah. they're at the beginning, they're not trying to buy from you right now. But that's yeah. I'm glad you said that, man, because it's like we don't have to be professionals as something if we love it. And if we and if we actually want to solve the problem and if we yeah. can actually like add value to what people are saying or what people are asking for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is. Anything worth doing is worth doing badly because if it's not worth doing badly, you're never going to get good at it. And so you've got to figure out ways to do things imperfectly before you can get to the point where it's perfect and it's right. It's just right. And so I'm, I'm always like my brother-in-law called me up a month ago and said, Hey, we want to animate this, uh, their logo and create like a little character. I go, yeah, I can figure that out. And like, there's an Adobe suite deal and like it follows your face and you just create a Muppet. And it like, basically you create a cartoon. And I was like, I'll figure out how to do that. And so we, uh, we dove in, he paid me 3000 bucks to learn how to animate a character. I made a little bit of money and I learned a ton. And now there's this, you know, something I can offer my clients if that's something that they need, because I learned how to do it. And those, those are sources of opportunity. So yeah. Bullets before cannons. Just get out there. Try something. Do it badly. Try to get somebody to pay you something for it and learn how to do it. Um, the second thing I've learned is that uh, everything starts small, man. You just get, you got to You got to just get in there and try it. It doesn't have to be the whole thing. You know, do not despise the days of new beginnings, days of small beginnings. They're they're valuable. Um I think from a business standpoint, read Hugh Halter's Bible book. He talks about when you're thinking about bivocational stuff, you got to find something that makes good money, frees you up for mission and connects you with lost people. And it's got to hit two of those things to be a missional business. I think he's got some great advice in there. There's this phenomenal book called How to Knock Over a 7-Eleven and Other Ministry Training. And it's all about missional entrepreneurship. It's a great little book. You should have that guy on your show, Michael Cheshire. Is that, is that Michael Cheshire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my guy. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's a good that, book. Yeah. That was one of those books that just like got the ideas churning. And uh, steal, beg, borrow, take something from one place and do it in a new place and you're a pioneer, right? Yeah. So always be watching what other people are doing and be a copycat and you'll, you'll create new space because you'll bring it into a new space. That's, that's my yeah. advice. Absolutely. I can um, totally agree and relate to that. So here at Hustle Free, there's a lot of things that we've done uh, without even knowing we were able to. So, for example, the podcast that we started, it started out of COVID. Neither of us had done it before. I have a radio background where we both, you know, just went for it. And one of the things that Mark always lives by, so Mark is the um, CEO of Hustle Free E. He always says, shoot, ready, aim. So it's kind of like what you were saying. So don't get ready first. No, you just shoot and see 
that you're capable, then you start to feel more ready. And then you can kind of like aim for exactly what it is that we want to um, get done. So I think that's um, a great um, word of advice. Um, my last question was about resources. Um, when it comes to funding, you did mention a few books there. Well, let's um, finish off by any other um, resources uh, when it comes to funding churches that you can think would be um, good resources. And then um, whatever last um, remarks you want to give to our audience. Yeah. A um, couple of business books I recommend to everybody. Um, one of them is The E-Myth and The E-Myth Revisited. And it's a, it's a fundamental book about building business that's not built around your time, but built around the product that you create. And I mm -hmm. think that you're not really doing business until you have something that doesn't require energy from you to sell. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a piece of it. And then as a follow-up on the business book that I think falls into what we do with church is Traction, which is a, a system of building systems that fill your business with a pipeline of sales and fulfillment over time. Because without those, your income will always be tied to a direct correlation of your time. And there's only 168 hours in a week and you're going to run out. And so figuring out ways to multiply through those things from a business perspective, those aren't spiritual books, but those are vital for church and for business. Absolutely. And then, so uh, any last remarks that you want to give and let us know how we can uh, get in contact with you. People have questions or they want to know more about you and your movement. I know you said to go to uh, madeforthis.com. Um, Madeforthiscamp.com. Yep. Madeforthiscamp.com. And is there any other um, websites or links that you would have the people to know? Yeah. Well, my first question is, Myron, when are we going to write this book, man? I think we got to got to get rolling. Yeah. I think. Is he still there? Hey. <laughs> hey. Hey. What's the Hey. What's the name of it? What's the name of it? Oh man, I got I got to look it up. I I wrote it to you a while ago. Um, he. he, he the missionary missionary hustle or something like that. Yeah, let's let's see. I got it right here. It's right in here. If you if anybody is watching and you take our title, we will sue you. No, this is this is a trademark title. <laughs> it's trademarked. Okay, praise God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh gosh. Yeah. Let's not even share it. We got to We got to We're not, not going to share it. But hey, hey, I am so serious, the man. Missionary like, hustle. That's the name of it. The missionary, missionary hustle. hustle. Yeah. Um, well, you can find me um, on Instagram at Bobby C. Frazier, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. Um, SolidCreative.media is my uh, is my business. And we do what we call a brand dive, which is um, we, we help people who have passion for their organization create world changing brands in one to two days. So if you, if you need help, we love we love helping your organization, primarily churches and real estate firms. Those are kind of two areas we, we focus on. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Robert. It's been great speaking to you, getting to know about you and your uh, mission and your uh, ministry. So thank you so much for that. Some great gems in there. So our audience, I hope you will um, pay attention and we will see you again next week. Uh, make sure you tune in. Yeah, yeah. Be, just just tune in, y'all. Lead that yeah, out tune in. in. And uh, Rob, man, thank you so much, bro. This was very, very valuable. Um, and I, I hope leaders were blessed, man. And we got to have you back, bro. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. All right. Thank you. Bye, guys. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.